Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Listen to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host this week, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, in studio with my regular compadre of companions and confessors, Peter Ill, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, Sean Smith, pastor of St. Paul Winehill and Emmanuel West Point, Illinois, and Mr. Peter Slayton, social media minister of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, trying to work toward Concordia, harmony, bringing our minds together under the one mind which is given to us in the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, re-speaking and same saying that one faith given once for all to the saints, but now continuing in our day centered around the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, looking at the apology to the Augsburg Confession from now until perhaps when our Lord Jesus comes back, but nonetheless enjoying its testimony that grace and faith are the things that ultimately matter and giving us that uh, that good news to speak to the world around us. Welcome, gentlemen, to the show, and your mics are actually on. Hey. Great to be here. Hey, yeah. great to be here. There we go. We're picking up at paragraph 82 of the apology. And, you know, I did. I made the little snarky joke. We're going to be in the apology for a while. It's long. It, it, it takes some time to get through it. You go around in circles because you're making a hard argument, the same argument. But it's one that, like, never goes away and continually is being brought back again and again, even today. It's not like it's just the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages that taught works instead of grace. And want to jump on that before we dig That's in? That's what all my post-it notes are saying here. <laughs> As I was reading through this, like all my notes are like, oh, we still do that. We still do that. We still do that. Like it's completely relevant. Yeah. I was just talking uh, the other day with uh, uh, a friend of the reformed background. And and this even comes up at issue there too, about uh, the once saved, always saved and the doctrine of election and, and things. And it's like, well, how do you know that Christ died for you if you don't make him die for all or not make him, but as scripture confesses that he died for the sins of all people and, and we trust in that we his blood's on us and we'll get into that more today but yeah right but even the conversation's still going uh, yeah and 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 i think to, to peter slayton's point here too you could get, you could get the idea that the confessions are a book from another time about other problems because the names and the places are not about today but if you get into it and you start seeing what it's saying you find out wow not a lot has changed the same war is still being fought the same Lies are still being taught. I don't know who first said this because I stole. I know I've stolen this line. I've used it before. The devil's not creative. He, he can't make up a new lie. He's got one lie and he tells it over and over and over again. So, Ill, you want to jump in? No, I'm good. You're like, let's get to the apology. <laughs> it's all, right. all the same. Only the names have changed. What's that phrase? I think there's a song about that or something. But that's basically what we're dealing with. Yeah, it is. It's I, all the same. Only the names are different. <laughs> yep. I don't know if that's a song though. Is it a song? It's a phrase. I. I, I'm not smart enough to have come up with oh, it, so it's got to be from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to pick up at paragraph 82, which starts with the word second, which is kind of a challenging thing. But he's, he's building on the argument that came before. I don't think we need to rehash it too much. But he says, it is certain that sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ as our atoning sacrifice. And now he's going to quote scripture to prove it. Christ, the atoning sacrifice, whom God put forward as a propitiation, Romans 3.25. 
I love the word propitiation. It means to satisfy, to be quenched, right? God put him forward as a quenching of his own wrath. Furthermore, Paul adds, by faith, that is back in Romans 3.25, he says this is a by faith reality. Therefore, this atonement benefits us in this way. We receive the mercy promised in him by faith and set it against God's wrath and judgment, which is to say, so now that God has said, Jesus has satisfied my wrath against you, Faith believes that, and then when we feel God's wrath or even see God's wrath proclaimed in the law, we set Jesus into that place and say, look, Jesus stands before between me and the wrath of God. To the same effect it is written in Hebrews 4, 14, and 16, since then we have a great high priest, let us then with confidence draw near. The apostle tells us to come to God not with confidence in our own merits, right? It doesn't say in Hebrews 4, uh, since then we have done so well, making our faith active through love, draw near to the Father. No, it says, with confidence in the great high priest, draw near to the Father. But with confidence in Christ as the high priest, as Melanchthon goes on here, the apostle requires faith. All of this demonstrating their main point that the scriptures teach salvation must be by grace and through faith. We're going to get more of this here, but anything else you want to say about that, that paragraph before we go on to the three and four? Well, yeah, I mean, as, as I was alluding to earlier, this, this is still an issue for a large group of Christians out there in the world uh, known as the Reformed uh, followers of John Calvin, his teachings, and so forth. And, uh, you know, the, the, the big argument is, who did Jesus die for? And they will answer, well, only of the elect. Right. And it's like, well, then what confidence do I have that I'm one of the elect? And see, this is, this is, and, and they like, they like Luther generally, the reformed, I mean, they are brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, um, but maybe on their own and right. Cause, cause how do you know, how do we know that, um, we have any confidence in that if, if we don't have the assurance that he died for the sins of the whole world. And isn't it funny that we actually as Lutherans would have more assurance that they're brothers and sisters in Christ than they do individually based on their theology? I mean, can you, can you follow that? I mean, that's a, right. that's a weird their thing. Their own yeah. assurance that they're even Christians, we're more confident that they That are. they are. Yeah. <laughs> even though we're going to say that they, oh, have, the irony. Yep. they have something wrong that they believe, which is dangerous to their conscience and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and what this spins up then is, is that you have to have some assurance that you're one of the elect. And so it becomes a very works-oriented thing for them. Um, you know, they have to point to their works to show, well, clearly I'm one of the elect because see how I live. And it's like, well, now you're trumping up your own works. So, but... But for us, it's Christ died for the sins of the whole world, exactly as it says in Scripture. We don't have to explain it away. We don't have to say, oh, well, world doesn't mean world there. No, we take it for what it is. And then we we say, but salvation is only received by faith. And do some reject that? Yeah. And that's that's what this paragraph is really summarizing is Christ died for the sins of the whole world, and we receive that by faith. And only those who receive it will be saved. Exactly. And on the flip side, you have uh, this portion of the apology then also combating those who would say, well, if I do the right things and if I go through the right motions, if I have those spiritual actions, then salvation will follow. And not only are they attacking this idea that uh, some are uh, led into uh, this, this doctrine of, well... I don't know if I'm saved or not, but others say, I know that I'm saved because I go to church a lot. And it has nothing to do with faith, but has everything to do with this uh, action that they take. And the Latin phrase for this is uh, ex opere operato, or by the doing of the doing, it happens. 
for lack of a better translation. <laughs> by, by the work of the work. If you'd yeah, like by to, the work of the work. Don't, don't let in the Latin scare you. If you'd like to join the conversation, call us 1-800-730-2727. We'd like to have you ask Pastor Il to rephrase and repeat his translation of Ex Opera Operata uh, often and regularly. Feel Again, free to correct him and translate <laughs> yeah, it better. that's true. 1-800-730-2727. You know, Pastor Il, what you just said there, though, about, you know, I go to church, I sit in church, therefore I'm saved. I, in, in my time as a parish pastor, which I no longer am, but I was, spent spent a decade out in various churches, I felt that as Lutherans, this was something we were really susceptible to. It was, in, in the as much as we sang the hymns about the gospel, as much as we would, we would certainly have the liturgy that, and, and all the stuff that's focused on Christ, it felt like when push came to shove, we had this Confidence is the wrong word. We had this assumed security that we've been here, we're Lutheran, Lutherans are right, and so we're fine no matter what we actually believe at the end of the day, or especially no matter what our kids believe. By the virtue of our posterior in the pew, we're good. And and that's kind of what they're working on here. Uh, scripture is exceedingly clear. Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin. And God is no longer angry with us because of our sin. But how often do we say, well, even if that is true, whoop-dee, mm. and it's not a big deal. Um, and we don't react in faith. Uh, well, if I go to church, that's good enough. I don't there's no change in my life. There's no there's no sure confidence in Christ, my Lord. I just need to show up on Sunday, and that is completely and totally antithetical to Scripture. Where, where I saw this happen or, or, or come to the surface the most was not through someone saying, "Well, I go to church every week, so therefore I'm good." It was whenever that place at the church where they had begun to put their confidence that wasn't Jesus, when that got challenged in any way. That's when the revolt would happen. That's when the anger would come out. Because now that my my idol, whatever that might be, we can we can say have your bottom mm-hmm. in the pew. We can have it be, you know, I've taught uh, or I, I've led the the Christmas pageant for twenty seven years. And even though we don't have any children, you know, we, we can't have one. We have to have one now, right? And it's nothing against Christmas pageants, but it was that the trust had been placed in these other things. That was where the real threat came. And what always my heart always went out to people was like, man, don't you know how free we are? We are so free to let these things that we we do with our hands come and go underneath the law and the gospel of God. See, and as I read this, I actually read it the the other way. So you guys have been talking about that individual who feels that they're justified by their merits, by their works of the law. And when I read the Hebrews passage, I thought, wow, how many people who are actually broken by their sin? And because of that, they have they haven't heard the gospel, but they sit there thinking, whether it's in the pew or whether it's out on the street because they're afraid to darken the door of a church, but they're thinking, I'm not good enough. Where they've, they've felt this crushing law. They've been under this, you know, as we're talking about here in the confessions, this, this weight and this burden of their own merits, and they've been broken. But there's, no, there's been no gospel. And here in Hebrews, since then we have a great high priest. Yeah, you're not good enough. You're not. That's the point. See, Jesus is. Yeah, see, the nature of the Lutheran life is one of holding things in tension. Mm-hmm. And that's an uncomfortable human 
thing to do. Yep. We don't like to hold things in tension. And, and, and the nature of the Lutheran life is that way because that's the nature of law gospel. And, and so that's why we need both. That's why we have to learn to rightly distinguish and when to apply what we need. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to know your people and you have to know yourself and you have to work with all of those things. And, uh, yeah, it just called about pastoral care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what it is. it's, it's, you know, I, I there, the scripture is so full of farming metaphors and so forth, but, but it, the, one of the most common ones is sheep. I mean, it, you have to know your sheep. The shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd knows all of his sheep. Um, but as we serve as under shepherds, as pastors, and as we work with our elders and things, we, we have to, uh, we can't just apply blanketly um, across and the means of grace are applied blanketly, mm-hmm. um, and and that needs to predominate. But uh, we need to know what the individual situation is there. The sheep know the shepherd's voice, yeah. as Jesus tells us, and so they have what is talking about here in Hebrews: confidence to draw near, confidence in his voice. The the question, the struggle, I think that we're we're dancing around, or at least I'm dancing around, is in our postmodern age where our culture certainly has gone off a very interesting end of something. How how much are we free to rest our confidence in our churchiness? Oh, yeah, we're the Missouri Synod. Oh, yeah, we're Lutherans. Oh, we're good. We got the Bible. And how much are we ready to just walk into this storm, not trusting in our churchiness, but trusting in the word of Scripture that's in our churches, right? And I don't think there's ever a time where we, could, we can stop asking that question. And the moment I say I don't need to ask that question is the very time that I'm in most danger. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and there's this tension. I mean, we're, we're so formed by from from our American education system and everything else. We're just so formed in pragmatism, which is you know it emphasizes the the experience over the content, or or at least as important if it's mm. even being somewhat you know faithful to true pragmatism, and that just creates so many difficulties for us because. Uh, Especially when we when we recognize this whole, you know, I, I'm I'm Lutheran, you know, there's a great side to that, you know. Again, the nature of the Lutheran life is holding things in tension. There's a great side. It's great that you think this is true, but when it comes up that our children go off to church bodies which are teaching unfaithfully, we see this excusing, and it's almost trying to excuse the guilt of the law. Uh, accusing us, and we just say, well, it's not my thing, but at least they're in church, and it's like. But if they're denying the truth, no, not at least, because uh, this is this is dangerous, actually. Have you ever had somebody who's from another church body uh, say to you as a pastor, oh, wow, you're a Lutheran pastor? I grew up Lutheran, but now I'm this. And they kind of want you to be happy. Right. Like that they grew up Lutheran. <laughs> and you're yeah. not anymore. And as a pastor, you just can't be. You're just like, well, that's, you know, I, I want to try to love you, but I don't even know how I'm going to smile and nod awkwardly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Far All right. too often does that happen. It looks like we have a caller. Do we have a caller? Yeah, oh, do. Yeah, look at this. I, I'm scared. We're I don't too know ex- what to do. All right. I was about to announce callers again, but we're going to go straight to it here as fast as I can. Uh, we have Jeff on the line from Tampa, Florida with a question. Go ahead, Jeff. Yes, Pastor Fisk. Be afraid. Be very <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have a question about, and it really leads into what you were just speaking of, that you know, an evangelical may say that, you know, look, Jesus has saved me, and he has provided complete satisfaction for my sin. So why are we living, as Luther would say, a life of repentance and absolution and forgiveness? 
Okay, go ahead and stay on. I'll let you respond after Peter Earl takes a shot at this. Jeff, that is a great question. And the last sentence of our our text here from the Apology uh, talks really well about that, that we uh, are called to come to God not with confidence in our own merits, but with confidence in Christ as the great high priest. This life of repentance and faith is one that is centered on Jesus, our great high priest, who has gone in before God our Father in heaven with his own blood and has made that atonement for us. And so we are covered by the blood of Christ, continuing to live in repentance of our sin and in recognition of God's grace. And uh, a lot of times evangelicals are tempted to fall into this temptation where Jesus has made me clean, and now that Jesus has made me clean, I need to go do and I need to live the Christian life. And we say living the Christian life is one of continuing repentance, not one of now that I've been cleansed, uh, making it up to God. Not in that kind of God has done this for me, so watch what I'm going to do for God now kind of an approach. Jeff, you want to follow up on that? Yeah, I mean, you said that beautifully and really highlighted, you know, kind of my transition back into the LCMS uh, from evangelicalism just because it's the, the gospel being constantly in front of you and not the gospel being, you know, sort of the ticket into the theater. And as you said, getting on with, you know, hey, let's live the victorious uh, Christian life. I mean, as our, as our sin and our life of repentance is in front of us, it just drives us right back to the cross, which is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, Jeff, it's a way of basically saying that we are going to let Christ continue to be Christ. He, he's the Savior who saves us and continues to save us, and that never stops. And myself, growing up as an evangelical, it's the same thing, where when you fall into that trap where it's now live the Christian life, well, okay, who's Jesus then? Does Jesus stop being the Savior? Does he stop being the one who forgives my sins, and now he's something else? He serves some other role in my life? No. Scripture says he continues to be that. We continually need that. And so we we go we live this life of repentance because that's allowing Christ to, and I, I don't even know if that's the right word, allowing, but that keeps Christ as Christ. Yeah. Instead of taking our eyes off of Christ. Yeah. 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 And if I can jump in too, I, I think, you know, th- this is the nature of these conversations still come up because as we talked some last week when we were on, Peter, I think mm-hmm. you and I were talking about this, you know, it shows up in our liturgy. You know, there's this whole move from evangelicalism to get rid of like our confession of sins because, well, that's taken care of, but we still sin. My, my, I, I'm, I'm still simultaneously a sinner as well as a saint. And so the, the victorious life in Christ body of death. Yeah. Well, and I, and I don't even want to use that, that language, but to live the sanctified life, right. Mm -hmm. As, as we grow deeper in that sanctification, that's, that's the fruit. It can't help but happen when, when we have, um, it, when we're feeding upon the fuel of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, um, I, I, I mean, it, it will happen. And and as we recognize, I think Luther and his small catechism with their Christian questions and answers is really helpful in this, um, that we ask ourselves first, do you believe that I am a sinner? And we answer, yes, I believe it. I am a sinner. How do you know this? From the Ten Commandments, which I have not kept. If we just examine the Ten Commandments every single day, we're going to recognize 
uh-oh, I better go back and, and, and still be saved by the blood, shed blood of Jesus and receive his gifts for the forgiveness of sins. And having been set free from that, of course I'm going to live the sanctified life. I mean, the cop has pulled me over and said, I have mercy on you. Do you think I'm going to floor it and like spin the tires and speed on out of there? Peel out no. as he's still I'm sitting gonna, there. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to obey the law and, mm-hmm. and at least for a little while, but I'll sin again because I'm still yet a sinner as well as a saint. Hey, Jeff, you're still hanging in there. Thanks for sticking around. I'll give you one more chance to ask Peter Eel to translate some Latin. (laughs) I'm good. My head's full. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you. Thanks, Thanks, Jeff. Great great question. Yeah, great question, Jeff. 1-800-730-2727. We'd love to have you call in and join the conversation here on Concord Matters, talking about grace versus works and the Christian faith as confessed in the Book of Concord. I'm going to go to break here in just a moment and then come back. But you guys had me thinking as well. This question that seems to come up regularly when you really push grace to its limit, when you really push the reality that you can do nothing to its end, the conscience that hasn't been laid bare by this suddenly begins to grasp. It begins to ask this question, well, is there, isn't there something I can do for assurance that lets me know I'm not going to fall away? Is there some way that I can know that now that I'm in Christ, I am going to ensure my salvation? And the answer is No. There is nothing you can do. You have every possibility of falling away from the faith, and there's nothing you can do to guarantee that you're going to stay in the faith. That seems like really bad news because it's about you. But then the good news is that Jesus can do everything to keep you from falling away from the faith. Jesus not only can do everything, has done everything, has baptized you into himself. That's why baptism is such a powerful thing. It's a promise you might not be able to save yourself, but not only not, I not only have, I can, and I will. You are listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, with a host of boys, Peter Peter and Sean, talking about Grace and Works. We'll be back in a moment. 75 years ago, big city bosses in St. Louis and Kansas City regularly bought out judges to protect themselves and their dirty money. Today, that just seems like history, but the corruption would have gone on without the Missouri Plan, a judge selection method based on merit, not partisan politics. Back then, Missouri paved the way for other states to take corruption out of the justice system. Visit MissouriPlan.com to see how the Missouri Plan continues to work for you. Paid for by the Missouri Bar. Sabrina Barrett, Executive Director. This week on His Time's Daily Lectionary Study, we look at Mark chapters 6 through 8. Our dark hero, Jesus, continues to escalate the conflict between him and the Pharisees by emphasizing the Word of God over and against their traditions, while continuing to baffle the masses by healing the sick, walking on water, feeding 5,000, and more. Tune in to the daily lectionary study on His Time every morning at 8 a.m. Central, and check in the hour before for your daily devotions on demand, a morning drive for the soul. Worldwide KFUO is faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Our talk programs, music programs, and worship services focus on the message of salvation through Christ. Generations of families have confidence in KFUO to proclaim a clear, unwavering message of Christ crucified for sins. Faithful, scriptural, Lutheran. We are Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery and it happens in our own communities. Victims can be any gender, age, or race. Join the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign to learn how to recognize and report this heinous crime. 
visit our website at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. That's www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. Your second look could be their second chance. St. Teresa of Calcutta, considered one of the greatest humanitarians of the 20th century, received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. In 1946, Mother Teresa petitioned the Catholic Church to let her leave the convent to which she'd been assigned to work among the poor in the slums of Calcutta, a new congregation which became known as the Missionaries of Charity, just the beginning of her work among the poorest of the poor in India. At her death in 1997, there were more than 4,500 missionaries of charity and hundreds of missions in more than 100 countries. Mother Teresa wrote about her philosophy of charity. Quoting Matthew 25, she said, Christ said, I was hungry and you gave me food. He was hungry not only for bread, but for the understanding of being loved, of being known. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Searching for Concordia, for harmony, for truth, for the right, real reality, who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's said, and us being able to speak it again to each other. Straight out of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession today with <laughs> Pastor Peter Hill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstead, Illinois, Pastor Sean Smith of St. Paul Winehill and Emmanuel West Point, and Mr. Peter Slayton, Social Media Manager for the LCMS. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. We took that break a little early, but that means we've got a lot of extra time now to cover more than one paragraph in the Apology today. <laughs> uh, so we're going to, before I even give them a chance to say anything, which was my mistake last time, is we're just going to go to paragraph 83 and we'll get at least that much under our belt. However, if you would like to join the conversation, we want you to call in and take as much time as you like asking Peter Hill about Latin. Latin questions for Peter Hill today. You get extra what do we call them? Concord Matters radio points. Is that is that fair? Oh, we to have do points that? now. <laughs> we have points. Are we not? We're not infringing on any other any copyright. I don't think points uh, that have no value. Yeah. Uh, let I'll the, take five. 000. Let the reader understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So paragraph eighty three. Peter. Not Pastoral and not Mr. Sladen, but Peter the Apostle says in Acts chapter 10, 43, this all again to demonstrate the point of grace rather than works, faith alone. Peter says to him, that's Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And now Melanchthon's going to explain this verse. How could this be said more clearly? Well, it's a good question. Peter says we receive forgiveness of sins through Christ's name. That is for his sake. It is not for the sake of our merits, not for the sake of our contrition, attrition, love, worship, or works. And then he adds, when we believe in him. Peter even requires faith. I added the word even there. Peter requires faith. For we cannot receive Christ's name except by faith. And that's such a huge question. How else do you receive a name? How else do you receive a promise than by faith? Besides, he refers to the agreement of all the prophets. This is truly to cite the authority of the church as opposed to what Rome is doing, citing the traditions, by citing the prophets, he's citing the church's scriptures. That's his point there. We will speak again later on this topic when describing repentance. Gentlemen, who wants to jump on the dog pile there? Well, Luther would call this the great exchange. And uh, he talks about this really quite beautifully. Um, he, he talks about it in, in the nature of marriage. You know, when you get married... All of what is yours becomes hers, and all of what is hers becomes his, right? And 
And that's the great exchange that happens in this, right? Is that you, all of what is Christ, his righteousness, his perfection, his good name, namely the name of son of the only right. God. Family right? name, right? Right. Um, that becomes ours. Hmm. And he gets the shaft in the deal because, you know, all of our sins, all of our selfishness, all of that, he takes upon himself. As, as we call it the great exchange because it's a good deal for us. Um, but for Christ, it's not such a good deal. I mean, you know, I'm getting married in a few months and I, I kind of tell my fiance, who, who, by the way, Peter, um, speaks Latin quite well as a classical Lutheran educator. I so bet she does. She will probably correct your Latin uh, when she I listens to this can, later. Can she call in now? Is she's she in school out in oh. Wyoming. Um, but uh, she so might have her Latin class like call that. in. Um, I'll, I'll work on that for next time. But anyway, yeah, I, I tell her, you know, that's kind of like the deal that, you know, she'll be getting, you know, she gets all it. I don't have much to give, you know, so she gets the bad right, deal on that. Right. You're the sinner. That's she's just the sight. Yeah. yeah. We, we got it. We knew yeah. that was coming. <laughs> we but, all saw but no, that. that, that is the nature of a marriage. And unfortunately, American understanding of marriage has really lost a good bit of that. Cause we still want to hold on to our individualism and we're two, uh, you know, silos living in the same house and so forth. And that's not a helpful understanding. Um, but when we understand the right biblical definition of marriage that's why luther uses this is this really is what it is all about it's that great exchange we receive his name that forgiveness of sins his righteousness his purity his holiness all of it um, become only children of the father and this is where uh, to keep that marriage analogy going we can look at say the old testament prophet hosea and god told him to go marry a prostitute and uh, i think that most of us would say, go marry a who? Yeah. What? Really? Uh, and so he That's goes... That's not one of the ones that gets into the Sunday school curriculum no, very often. No, it's not. No. And so, so he gives himself to her and makes this exchange, and what is his is now hers, and after a period of time, she lives like it doesn't matter, and mm. she goes back to her old ways, and she departs from it, and God uses... Uh, this this woman whose name was Gomer as an example for what his people had done by leaving him and his faithfulness after he gave them what was his. And they said, no, we liked it our way better. So we're out. Thanks, though. And God had Hosea the prophet go back and buy his wife back and bring her back and once again give what was his for her. And again and again, God continues to work this way, not just in the Old Testament, but for us too, as we're tempted to leave the faith and to leave the gifts of God and to say, oh, Christ died on the cross for me, but I'm going to go back to doing it myself. And he continues to come after us like a shepherd looking for his sheep, and he doesn't give up on us, and he keeps us uh, and finds us and returns us to the flock. Like a husband so in love with his wife that no matter what she does, he will remain committed and steadfast beside her and seek her out at all costs. Or the other major image out of the New Testament, like a father so loving his son, no matter how prodigal he becomes, that he would run to him and embrace him even though he smells like pigs or perhaps <laughs> like a, a Peter or... The manure. Peter. Well, and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> on, on that unsanctified note, uh, coming back to you were talking about before the break, uh, you know, the, the falling away. And yet, you know, when the focus is on us, there is no hope there. Mm. But when the focus is on rightly on Jesus, there's great hope there. And, you know, I was kind of rough on the reforms earlier at the beginning of the show. But um, 
that that is kind of where they're coming at is this doctrine of election right mm-hmm. and and it's not like we don't have a doctrine of election we just find it rightly centered in Christ i don't look for any kind of hope in myself and so yes we have the john 10 that's the great one that the the reform love to hold up is you know they're in the father's hand and none so snatch them out and it's like well how do you know that you're in the father's hand right uh, because earlier in john 9 uh, it does talk about satan seeking to snatch away as many as he can. Right. And so there is that danger of falling away. And so we, we have to, to recognize I, I can't, I can't do this myself. And that's why I return again and again to this doctrine of justification, because there I see, and I have great confidence that his shed blood was for me because it was for the sins of the whole world. And when I put my confidence there, uh, faith is enlivened. You're putting your finger on something really important there too, though, that you've tied the doctrine of justification to the doctrine of universal grace, which even though in language we entirely agree with the Calvinists and the way that they speak about justification, they do not tie it to universal grace. Right. They tie it, to what they tie it to what they call particular grace. And as a result, then uh, you're never really able to, can we say, do the justification to everybody. Uh, and Dr. Pieper is really uh, good at pointing this out in, in volume one of his dogmatics, that you're either going to have universal grace or grace alone. Uh, That's what people are going to lean toward. Lutherans, we see them both in scripture and we say, well, we want both of them. It just the problem is it doesn't make any sense. Our reason can't comprehend the the combining of the two, which gets you back to the tensions you mentioned earlier, right? So universal grace, that is everybody's saved, grace alone, God alone saves. Reason looks and says, well, not everybody's saved. So clearly one of these must be wrong. And that's where the, the Calvinists end up getting their doctrine from reason. So I don't know if I really took us in a good direction there or not, but it's, uh, I, think it's I think it's a valuable distinction that, yep. that universal grace and grace alone, the rest of Christian tradition holds to one or the other. Scripture teaches both. And that's where the doctrine of election meets yep. the crux to the gorm, yep. the problem we don't the have cross. to We don't have to explain away Scripture. And this returns back to something you had brought up before, Jonathan, about how is it for the person who wonders, is Jesus' death for me? Mm. It, Well, Jesus' death is for all. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? And any sinner who knows the depth of their sin uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit will confess. Why? By all means. I need Jesus' death and resurrection for me because if it's left to me, I'm in deep, deep trouble. Jesus' death is for everybody. It's not just people wondering, huh, did Jesus die for me or not? The Lutheran life is one of holding things in tension. Hashtag Sean Smith said that. <laughs> what did you say last week that we tried to hashtag? I, I have a God problem, but God is the solution. Oh, but it was better than that. It was it like, was we have a God that. problem, but we also have a God solution. Hashtag, hashtag Jonathan Fisk said that. That's right. Yeah. No. That's right. You tried <laughs> I to steal it. Well, try to make yourself popular off other I people's take... ideas. Nice. It's <laughs> the way to go. I want to take us back a, a minute or two ago because we were talking about how we're we're constantly trying to kind of insert ourselves back into it and kind of take back a part of this. And I think what Melanchthon brings up here is something where he kind of gets into some of the subtleties of that, because I don't think we always realize when we're actually doing that. And so Melanchthon right here in the middle of this paragraph, he says, if it, it is not for the sake of our merits and as further clarification, not for the sake of our contrition, attrition, love, worship, or works. And Jeff, our caller who was here earlier talking about evangelicals, I, I grew up 
as one of those. And so when I would read this Acts 10 passage, the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, I read that word believes and I automatically go to, oh, that's an act of my own will. I must believe, which is, as, as we're looking at here, that's a merit. That's something I've got to do. And so we need to be careful and make sure that we're properly defining this word merit and realizing how expansive that is. Mm. Merit includes anything that I would do versus here where it's talking about, you know, you have a great high priest. He's done it for you. This statement of believe is a promise. It's a gift. It's, 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 when, it's a statement of when we believe, not if we believe. It's a statement of here's what you are given and as a result, here's what's going to happen. Not, okay, if you do these things, here's what God will give to you. And, and as even uh, growing up evangelical, you know, your will, your works, your piety, all of those things become merits. And this gets into our churches too. I mean, we are not immune to this. You will find even Lutherans who will talk about believing being something they have to do or right. that they do or that they participate in. Right. And, and, and there's this tough in, in law gospel, uh, CFW Walther's great work. You know, he taught, he talks about, there's a difference between the exhortation to believe because this is objective truth, mm-hmm. believe it. Right. You know, you kind of say that versus saying you need to believe this. Right. And and the key is listening to those personal pronouns yeah. is, is the, what I'm believing the objective work of Christ and all the pronouns have been about Christ. He, it, or not he, it, but, but he, sorry, he, him, you know, he, his, him, right. Yeah. yeah. Or is it, you know, you, I, those sorts of things. I mean, you just listen to the pronouns and it's kind of fun. I, I love teaching my confirmant uh, students, my catechumens and so forth to listen to the pronouns and then they start listening for them and then they go off to hopefully other churches and not, not when I'm preaching to them, <laughs> but, uh, and they're like, you know, I caught that pastor and it's like, yep. Good. To build, to build on that, the, the distinction about how we hear a, a command to believe. It, so you can hear it in the sense of believe you had better believe because you need to do it. Or you can hear it in the sense of believe that is I am worth trusting in. Right. I am believable when I say this thing. And that's the gospel edge that needs to be emphasized in all of us, particularly to the one who, who hears faith alone as meaning my will alone as opposed to the promises of God alone. And so Acts 10 does not say that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his willpower, right? it, it, meaning my willpower. It says receives forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Uh, well, then how else do I receive Jesus? It's not by my will. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is only by how do you receive any promise? If I promise you I'm going to take you out for dinner tonight, you have only one way to receive that promise. I didn't do it. I just said if. Oh. You have only one way <laughs> to receive that promise, and that is by believing me or not believing me. Am I trustworthy? Am I not? And the gospel is that God's trustworthy, right? In Jesus, he's trustworthy now. And so often Christians are tempted by Satan, the accuser, to twist this on its head and to say, oh, instead of having faith in Jesus, I can trust my faith. And sometimes uh, even I'm tempted to talk about my faith is strong, weak, hot, cold, take, take your pick on adjectives. And we want to start to describe our faith instead of talking about my Savior Jesus. And uh, there's a special word 
uh, called fideism or belief in your faith, where you Was start that Latin. To, it, uh, kinda. It's a it's an English cognate. It's yeah. not actually Latin. English Latin cognate. Is that a thing? Yeah, it actually is. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I read it in a book once. Um, <laughs> so, but this belief in your faith as a thing instead of belief in Jesus is actually a really scary temptation, um, a temptation that Christ overcomes for sure. But it's not about my faith. It's about my savior. This is and where, that is in whom I believe. This is where American spirituality like really rests its laurels. Those where the Oprah kind of preaching goes is that faith is in faith and just have faith and everything will be fine. Yeah. This is, I think one of the reasons why this conversation of I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual mm. is so uh, helpful because people will talk about themselves as I'm a person of faith. And when you ask them, well, what is it that you believe in? They say, well, I'm a person of faith. And it's more important to them that they have faith instead of what their faith is in. What's the object of that faith? Right. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Rick Mars, uh, a professor at the St. Louis Seminary here uh, talks about his gospel chair uh, to kind of make a yeah, picture yeah. of this. And I, I rather, like, that. yeah, I rather enjoy it. You know, it's like, um, you know, tell someone to sit down and it's like, you know, is, is your belief that the chair is going to hold you what actually holds you or is it the objective strength of the chair itself? Well, obviously it's the objective strength of the chair itself. And if it's not strong enough as as I've sometimes experienced, sometimes it doesn't hold you, right? <laughs> doesn't you know? matter really how much, and so it's yeah. not doesn't trustworthy how much I anymore. Believe. Right? Yeah. It doesn't hold me. It right. fell over. Yeah, I believed really hard that this would hold me, and it did not. It failed me. <laughs> right? Ooh, so, so many bad flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a way. I think a way of getting at this in, a, in kind of a practical way, something that's helped me, this idea that belief is not something we do. Um, Sean, I've got a question for you. Uh-huh. When did you decide that you loved your fiance? That moment, before the moment you didn't love her, and you made that decision, and then you loved her. When was that? Uh, <laughs> you don't have. Yeah, I can't. I, I mean, my it's, wife, it's, Jonathan, your wife. We don't. We, you can't look at uh, that moment and say, "Oh, here's where it was." That's when I decided. But that's what we do with this belief thing that's like oh yeah well i decided to believe it's like that's not how it works there was a slow realization over time or maybe it was a fast lightning realization of i love this woman right but it already I'm, happened it, it was, yeah, it was, it was already there it was a mm-hmm. reality you were simply confessing something that already happened that's that's what belief is by the time you realize you believe you you already believe it's already there it's been done to you yeah. you had no control over it and, and as much as that's a helpful picture because it is the very image that Jesus used as far or as that God's goes. word used. Yeah. Right. But but as much as that is broken in our world, that's in its perfection in the relationship mm. that we have with Christ. Because And that's helpful to point out, too, because in our human relationships and, and marriages and so forth, right, we're prone to struggle in that. And, and uh, you know, we, we don't really fall out of love with people, although secular culture will say that, those yeah. sorts of things, right? Uh, but we don't fall out of love. But there's times where that maybe that love is a little more strained and so forth. Sure. Um, but uh, it's a helpful picture and image to see the the objective love is still there it is still strong and uh, we need to point to that in marriages a whole lot more um, yeah. than we do in our uh, pastoral counseling of such things but but even more so in our relationship with christ and his justifying work if somebody does decide does know the moment they decided to love their spouse well then we'll just switch it to okay when did you ask to be born 
Right. Yeah, he works the same. Fine. Yeah, we'll do. We'll go with that that's one. Probably even the better. The love one was. But following the three-year lectionary, that was just the gospel reading this past oh, um, yeah. Sunday yeah, with uh, yeah. um, Nicodemus. Right. You know, it's like you, Can I you didn't crawl, crawl back in my mother's yeah. womb. Well, and what? you didn't crawl into your dad's brain and say, "Go lay with mom so that I can be conceived." No, that didn't happen. <laughs> right. And so it didn't happen Wait, the second that's the time. The sermon either. you preached. Oh. I have racy sermons. <laughs> I'm going to fill my church with my racy sermons. No, not at all. I, I pray faithfully. for your people. Yeah, I, I, I pray for your people real hard. I, I got to save this conversation now, and I'm going to do it with some Latin. Ego sum et spiritualis et religiosi. Ego sum et spiritualis et religiosi. And you want people both, to call in about my Latin? I am both spiritual and religious. We're going to get one more paragraph of this Augsburg Confessions apology Wonderful. in here before we're Excellent. done today. Hey, that was great stuff, though, guys. Don't don't let my uh, my snarkiness steal from you the value of what you really did just talk about and share with everybody. So, uh, again, you can call us. We've still got a few minutes left, too. 1-800-730-2727. This is Concord Matters. I'm Pastor Jonathan Visk. We've got a number of fellows here. Peter Ill, Sean Smith, and Peter Sladen. Happy to chat with you about grace and works or this following paragraph from this paragraph 84 the apology the, the next confession. Two. just just yeah. take us there yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. um fourth forgiveness of sins is something promised for christ's sake and this is the whole point right that it isn't because of anything we do before or after the event it is done exclusively for his sake it cannot be received except through faith alone that was that whole last conversation for a promise cannot be received except by faith alone yeah he repeated himself because he really wants to make sure you get the point Romans 4:16 says that is why it depends on faith Paul's making the point too that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed that gets us to that universal grace thing it is as though he says, Paul, and I'm like this paraphrasing Paul, if the matter were depend upon our marriage, the promise would be uncertain and useless, for we could never determine when we would have enough merit. Experienced consciences, Melanchthon's going on now, says, can easily understand this, which is, that was Peter, your point, uh, Peter Hill, that was your point way earlier, that the sinful conscience knows its need. It knows that it can't possibly do enough. You don't have to teach it. That is, I mean, it's been regenerated to just fear, right? Galatians 2 then says, excuse me, Galatians 3 then therefore says, St. Paul, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Melanchthon now he says, he takes merit away from us because he says that all are guilty and included under sin. Then he adds that the promise, namely forgiveness of sins and justification, is given. And he shows how the promise can be received by faith. That's the whole argument, right? We're under sin. That Jesus is the answer. Faith receives it. This reasoning derived from the nature of a promise is the chief reasoning in Paul and is often repeated. That is, why is it by faith alone? Because that's the, that's the nature of a promise. It's the only way promises work. Nor can anything be devised or imagined by which Paul's argument can be overthrown. And that's, that's you're like lobbing the grenade. And you know what? You go ahead and come up with any idea you want to argue with this. It's, it's, it's nonsense. It's idiocy. You cannot overthrow this argument. Promises are only received by faith. Therefore, let not good minds, that's you, Christian, out there, you know, d- 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 frazzled by the, the false teaching of the world, let not good minds allow themselves to be forced away from the conviction that we receive forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Through faith alone is how it is. In this, they, good consciences, you, have sure and firm consolation against the terrors of sin, against eternal death, and against the gates of hell. In Jesus, you have sure and certain consolation against the terrors of sin, against eternal death, and against the gates of hell. 
you could almost preach that stuff. That's pretty good. It's good stuff. It, that uh, was a sermon. Yeah. It was awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you. Peter, ill, go. You were going to talk. No, you weren't. <laughs> bad radio. Bad radio. Call us. one 800 <laughs> He waves. Sean? Peter? Anybody? Well, I mean, so t- to use an old uh, Dr. Nagel phrase from the seminary here in St. Louis, how much Jesus is too much Jesus? Yeah, right. I mean, even a child oh, would yeah. say... Obviously not enough. I mean, like you can't get enough Jesus. Yeah. Um, but but that's what we do by our by our actions when we try to to think that we have something to offer. We make Jesus incidental, you know. And and, and it's like we need we need Jesus. Yeah, we can't get enough Jesus. But but I have to offer something too. Nope. Just let it be Jesus, 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 Jesus. Nothing but and, Jesus. And going back to the beginning of our conversation, this is why you as pastors. When you have people come up to you and say, I used to be a Lutheran, but now I'm over here. The reason you can't be happy when you hear that, the reason I'm not happy when I hear that from friends or other people is because the choice that they've made is for less Jesus. That's exactly right. That's what you, anywhere else you go, you're going to get less. That guaranteed, there is nowhere you can go, no other confession, no other form of Christianity that has as much Jesus as we do. Well, let's just say as scripture, which is what we're clinging to, yeah. right? And and that's what breaks our heart. So you want to go to Rome because they got the tradition, they got the laying of the hands, they have the, 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 the old liturgy, fine, but you're going to have to believe that your salvation rests upon your merits. Uh, you you want to go uh, to Calvinism because they're reasonable and they make a lot of sense, fine, but the Lord's Supper is now no longer actually Jesus on the table justifying you, and you have no place to, to locate the justification that you can you can define it till the, the day is over, but you can't locate it anywhere. You can't find it. It is only in this tension of all Scripture being held uh, that the this name Lutheranism just means right? preaching the whole Scriptures, preaching Jesus constantly. Yeah. Well, and to pick up on what you just said, too, I mean, if you go to Rome, uh, it's not even just your own merits uh, that's at work there, and, and, Luth- uh, and the Lutheran confessions are hitting this as well. It's also the resting on merits of others. Right. Now, we, we, we honor the saints in their lives of faith and the example that they set for us, but it is their lives of faith as they lived focused on Christ, their merits, their prayers, you know, because they're around their, their whole theology of this, that does nothing for me. But that is inherent in the teachings of Rome is that they are literally trusting the merits of another, just the wrong other. Just let it be Jesus. Isn't you can't it, get funny? enough Jesus. Like everybody else can earn up enough merit. You can borrow some, like you right. know Mary and Saint Paul and, and whoever Saint Saint. What who was the one the Lutheran always just kind of uses his example? But uh, they can all have enough merit that you can get your sin covered by them. But Jesus at the cross apparently just wasn't enough. Death of the Son of God just just wasn't enough. We need to like go pray in a monastery instead. I need Joseph's pants. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> For reference to his last sermon. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, <laughs> uh, but this this takes us back to Jesus there with his disciples, and Jesus asks him, "Who do you say that the Son of Man is?" And Peter answered, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus said to him, "You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." Because we so often want to take our eyes off of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Living God, because He's not enough. And so, after we want to take 
our eyes off of Jesus. Jesus says, no, don't let your confidence be shaken. Don't let your confidence be removed from me. Fix your eyes on me, the author and perfecter of faith. And from there, the gates of hell itself cannot overcome you. I am enough. There is no such thing as too much, Jesus. Yeah, there is no such yeah. thing as too much. Amen to that. There's and, and never w- enough. Way to hold the preaching oh. through uh, through uh, Pastor uh, Patrick Smith over here trying to distract you with his laughter and red face. <laughs> Something's funny. Yeah. I yeah. He's no dying and I don't know what, know what yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much Jesus is too much Jesus, though, Pastor Smith? I mean, that's what Peter's going on the topic you brought up earlier. So we got about a minute and a half left here, guys. Well, and it, it also plays in then, too, of... Um, how? Hey, hey, we can hear hey, you whispering. Yeah, we can hear the whispering. <laughs> Sorry. It, it also plays in then to, of, you know, to, to use another Dr. Nagel phrase of, you know, uh, how often do I need to go to church? Well, that tends to me, that's the wrong question. It tends to yeah. me to talk about myself. How often would Jesus have me go to church? I mean, you better believe if he tells me, hey, I'm present here and I'm giving out my gifts here. The forgiveness of sins that I have won for you. I am your bridegroom. I am giving you my awesome gifts. You better believe I'm going to climb over anything to make sure I'm there. And you see that among the faithful believers. I mean, you you just cannot... I mean, you just can't keep them people away. For how many people in, in our day and age is eating a law? Like, you better eat lunch. Yeah. You better eat dinner or else. Right. No, it's something we love, right? So how... how what I, what I would never ask the question, well, how often do I need to eat? Right? But it's just not where we go. I eat because eating is great. It's a gift from God. Well, how much more then is the word of life, right? Which is mm-hmm. the bread from heaven, which is all of these things above. There, it's just a, it's a silly question. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you got me excited about it. So you can have the well, last 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, just Jesus is here. He is He has done the full satisfying work. We believe it. We can't get enough of it. Just soak it in. Eat it up. Amen. 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 There's still 30 seconds. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, I was going to say, well, this gets to that, that question of how, here's the wrong question. How often do we need to have the Lord's Supper? That's the wrong question. Yes. Yeah. How often can we? How often should I? How often do I get to? That's that's the right way to go about that. Where where can I get more of it? Well, well, it gets into all of the things, right? Yeah. You know, Luther talks about this when it comes all to the places personal, con- personal confession and absolution, right? Well, I mean, if we if we understood that we do actually receive yeah, if we receive the forgiveness, or do I have to do that at all? We're at Lutherans, all? we don't do yeah. it. Yeah, and he said, but but if you realize the great gift that you're receiving, you would go beat your pastor's door down and say, demand of him, hear my confession and more. absolve me. Give me more, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Because you can't get enough Jesus. Yep. Exactly. Do I have to go to heaven? Really? Forever? I have to? <laughs> right? I mean, it's 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 insane. It's a and nonsensical it question. It is nonsensical. But it's, it does make sense in the in this sense that as children of Adam, with the flesh still wrapped around our necks, we still despise our Lord. We yeah. still have this fight going on within us. And the reality that we're talking about is is the knowledge we have now that this word is our food. This word is our sustenance. This promise of grace is the thing that will bring us to the point where we know no longer any resistance to this life of faith, but we'll only know the life of faith. That'll be on the day when our Lord comes back, and we're all looking forward to that, confessing the faith all the way there. So we do here at Concord Matters. My guest, Pastor Peter Hill, Trinity Lutheran Church, Millstead, Illinois, Pastor Sean Smith, St. Paul's Wine Hill and Emmanuel West Point, Illinois, and Mr. Peter Slayton, Social Media Manager of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I am your host for this week, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Tell you, universe, our Lord Jesus, he's done it all. 
There's nothing left. No, you can't save yourself, and no, you can't keep yourself in the faith, and that's the great good news. He has done it, and he will continue to do so even and up to the very end of the world. Trust it, and rock on.